Parashat B'Shalach. We're going to talk about Az Yashir, the first song in the Torah, the first song in recorded history. We don't have any other songs in recorded history. People don't talk about a song, certainly not the lyrics. We've got the lyrics of the song in the Torah. We have all the lyrics of Az Yashir. We're going to talk a little bit about this song. Uh, first of all, the lead up to the song, which is the fact that the Jewish nation was redeemed, released from slavery. They exited Egypt after the miraculous events of the final plague, Makat Bechorot, when the firstborn all died at exactly the same moment at midnight on that fateful evening. The following morning, they all left Egypt. Okay, so that should be the end of the story or the beginning of a new story. Actually, it wasn't the end of the story because as we see at the beginning of Beshalach, Paro heard that they uh, were wandering around the desert. The, they didn't know exactly where they were going. And they're now on the shores of the Red Sea. And Paro decided, okay, I'm going to take one more chance. I'm going to try and eradicate this nation from the face of the earth. And he gathers up together his army, the mighty Egyptian army. It was the strongest military force of the era and chase after the Israelites, the Jewish nation, and destroy them. In any event, they get to the shores of the Red Sea. I'm not going to go through every detail. We know the story. The Red Sea split. The Jewish nation made it through to the other side. The Egyptian army who were behind them did not make it through and they all drowned. So that's the story. What happened immediately afterwards, the Torah tells us, is Az Yashir Moshe then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to God and they said as follows I will sing to God for he has triumphed gloriously horse and rider he has hurled into the sea I'm not going to read you the whole of Yaz Yashir. I'm going to just focus on the first few words, which, which are not even the song. It's the introduction to the song, but it's included in the lyrics of the song. Az Yashir Moshe. Then Moses, what does the word Yashir mean? Sing? Sang or sing? Sang. No, no. Then it would be Az Shar Moshe. Yashir means will sing. Will sing. So somehow there is a discrepancy here because it's not in the present tense. It's in the in the future tense. It's certainly not in the past tense. As Shar Moshe, it should actually be in the past tense. He sang it's it's a narrative. We're saying what happened. As Shar Moshe. So why does it say Az Yashir Moshe? And by the way, I have another question for you. What about the word Az? What does the word Az mean? Then. Then. then, then, at that moment. Well, when else should he sing? An hour and a half before? Three months later? Uh, it doesn't make any sense. What do you mean Az Yashir Moshe? Of course, Az Yashir Moshe or Az Shar Moshe. There was no other moment for him to sing. The miracle had just happened. Now he sings. So Rashi picks up on this point and he quotes a Chazal. Look at the second 
the second um, source on the source sheet. Az Yashir Moshe, Az, then, Kesherahanes, when he saw the miracle, Alabelibo, Sheyashir Shira. At the moment he saw the miracle, it entered his mind that he would sing a song. In other words, suddenly the magnitude of the moment struck him, us. And he thought to himself, wouldn't it be wonderful if as a result of the magnitude of this great moment striking me, that I would sing a song at some point. That is what Rashi says this phrase means. Az Yashir Moshe. Are we happy with that? Not really. I mean, it explains it, but it sounds like we're trying to force a meaning into the words because, you know, really what it should have said was Vashar Moshe. What it says is Az Yashir Moshe. If you really want to push your luck, you could say it should say or could have said Az Shar Moshe. But Az Yashir Moshe, that suddenly he scratched his head and said, one second, this is not what I was expecting to happen. Isn't this unbelievable? Oh, wow. I'll tell you what, I'm going to put it in my schedule to quickly whip out my smartphone. I'm going to stick it in my schedule. Tomorrow afternoon at two o'clock, I'm going to sing a song. Really? That's what the Pasuk means? Doesn't make any sense. Okay, I'm not the first one to ask this question. Many people comment on this Chazal, on this Rashi, and discuss uh, the, the concept of Yashir as not being specific to that moment, but something that was going to perpetuate and sustain itself for all of Jewish history. But I am now going to talk about one specific um, interpretation through the eyes of the Shem Mishmuel. Rabbi Avram Bornstein, the Sochachava Rebbe, who lived in the late 19th and early 20th century. He was a grandson of the Kotzka Rebbe, and we've studied his material before. We're going to go through a short piece, which I've edited slightly um, to, for clarity's sake. And we're going to go through this piece, we're going to summarize it, and then we're going to see what lessons we can draw from it. Ve'yesh lahavin. It's important for us to understand. Lama nichtav klal sha'alabelibo. So his question is on Rashi. He says, why would Rashi have said that it entered his mind? That's a, I'm, I use that translation for alabelibo. There's no easy translation into English of alabelibo, is there? Can you think of any good translation? Alabelibo means he suddenly felt, felt the moment, he felt the need, felt the urge. So I've translated it as, as, it entered his mind. What do you mean, it entered his mind? Nobody does something unless they've made the decision to do it. Unless they're literally, you know, uh, half asleep or don't know what they're doing, nobody would ever think of doing something if they didn't think of doing it before, right? Makes perfect sense. So what does Rashi mean when he says, Kesharahanes, why can't the Pasuk say not Yashir but Shar? He sang. 
not that he will sing. That somehow there was, there was a three-stage process. Miracle, thought process, singing. Why can't it just be spontaneous? Okay, the near air. So now we're going to take a tangent, which is completely left field. I know that this week was the Super Bowl, so we're not talking about left field because that's baseball. But nevertheless, let's go to left field in the eyes of the Shem Mishmuel. Dehine, ze pele mashikulam kivnu belashon echad. The most remarkable aspect of this song that they sang on the shores of the Red Sea is that they all sang exactly the same lyrics at the same time. Nobody handed out a song sheet. Imagine you don't know a song. What happens? You go to, have you ever been to one of these bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah and they've made up, the family's made up a song. What do they do? They want you to sing with. What do they do? They hand you out a sheet of paper with all the lyrics and telling you exactly what the song is going to be so that when it comes to the part where we all have to sing together, everybody knows what they have to sing. There was no song sheet here because they didn't, never knew they were going to sing a song. This was, as it were, spontaneous. And that being the case, how did they all know what to sing? You ever thought of that question? How did they know what words to sing? Look what it says in the Pasuk. And they're singing, they're not saying it. And no one was holding up a big sign at the front with the words of the song so that they could sing it in unison. There wasn't a karaoke machine on the shores of the Red Sea displaying the lyrics of Az Yashir. So how did they know? By the way, none of this bit about the karaoke and all that, that's not in the Shem Bishmur. I've added that in for illustration purposes only. Ubevadai, he says, The only way that it is possible for the Jews, for the Israelites to have sung this particular song, the lyrics in unison together and know what they were singing is only through the medium of prophecy, nevuah. However, there is a problem with Nevu'ah. What's the problem with Nevu'ah? You don't know it, but I'm going to tell you. Even if you're going to adopt this idea that Nevu'ah was the medium by which the Jewish nation knew what words to sing when they sang Oz Yashir, Ki en, it's not a, it doesn't make sense. Why? Ki en there's a Gemara in Sanhedrin talking about a Navi Sheker. The Gemara, you can find it, it's Daf Peitet Amud Aleph, 89a. And the, and the Gemara there is talking, discussing different aspects of people who present themselves as prophets, but they're not really prophets. How does one expose them as being fakes? and frauds. What does one do? Well, one of the things that comes up for discussion is this concept that no two prophets say exactly the same prophecy. Doesn't happen. The, by the prophecy passing through a human being, there will be nuances that are different even though both prophets are saying the same thing, they're actually going to use different words and express it differently. Okay, it's, a, it's an interesting idea, and when we get to that Gomorrah, at some stage we'll talk about it in greater detail. Uh, I'm going to give you an example that we're all familiar with. 
um, which has nothing to do with prophecy, but, um, but it's an illustration. It's, um, it's a way of us understanding this concept so that we will get some measure of the incredible miracle of Oz, Oz Yashir. Imagine two people witness a murder and they come to court and those witnesses are questioned under oath, they're cross-examined and there are discrepancies in their testimony. Does that mean they weren't there, they weren't present at the murder, that they didn't see it? No. What color sweater was the murderer wearing? One of them says green, the other one says blue. Okay? Does that mean that they weren't there? No. It just means that their perception of that particular color may have been different. That's not what they were focused on. They saw that he was wearing a sweater, the murderer, but they didn't perhaps note the color in quite the same way. Maybe one of them is colorblind, maybe, who knows? It's not important what the reason is. But when that information passes through the medium of the individual witness's brain and is then presented to the court for them to consider, there will be nuances and differences between the testimony of one witness and the testimony of another witness. And that doesn't mean that the person that's being accused of murder is not a murderer. What it means is that no two people ever see exactly the same thing, even if they've both, both seen the same thing. So too, a Navi, a prophet, receives the word of God. Now that word of God is now processed by him through his brain, his neshama, his human condition, his life experience. And now he goes and presents that word of God to the nation as the prophet. No two prophets, even if they've received exactly the same prophecy, will ever deliver that prophecy in exactly the same way. So based on that, says the Shem Ishmuel, how is it possible that those who sang the words of Az Yashir sung exactly the same words in unison? It's not possible. Even if you're going to use this, this uh, vehicle of nevuah, of prophecy, it doesn't make sense to imagine that they used exactly the same words because we know, because the Gemara says, no two prophets will ever prophesize in exactly the same way. And therefore, says the Shem Ishmuel, He says, and I have a proof for what I've just said, which is not brought in the Gemara, but which absolutely illustrates what it is that the Gemara is trying to tell us. How does a prophet, in all the prophets, the Nevi'im that we have, let's take Isaiah or Jeremiah, how do they present their prophecies to the nation? They use the words, Ko Amar Hashem. So did God say. What does it mean, ko? What does the word ko mean? Ko amar Hashem. What does that mean? It means that somehow what I'm saying conveys the word of God. It's not exactly what God said, but somehow it conveys the word of God. Ko amar Hashem. Something like this 
is what God said. However, Moses exceeded this particular um, form of presentation when he delivered his prophecies because he always said his prophecies belashon ze hadavar. These, this is the word ze hadavar. This is what God said. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, had an elevated. We know he was the greatest prophet who ever lived. And we know that when he delivered the word, he delivered it precisely in the way that God said it to him. It was an additional level, an elevated level of prophecy that only Moses had. Why was it so important for Moses to have that level of prophecy? Because the Torah has to be a true record of God's word. Whereas the Nevi'im are only conveying concepts and ideas Moshe Rabbeinu had to be precise in every word that he used, and therefore, zeh hadavar. Yisrael etzel hayamsuf. The Jewish nation next to the Yamsuf, amru zeh keiliva anvehu. So he uses the word zeh as one of the lyrics, the words in the lyrics of Az Yashir, to tell us that actually the Jewish nation also had this elevated form of prophecy just briefly for that moment after the miracle of the Yamsuf when they sang this song. It's somehow um, reminiscent of the prophecy of Moses. So how is it possible that Moshe Rabbeinu always managed to get the wording exactly right? Have you ever played memory games? Are you good at memory? Some people have visual memory, some people have um, photographic memory. There are people who have audio memory, right? Remember there was this game, I can't remember exactly what it was called, but it made noises with lights and you had to press the lights and you had to remember exactly the sound that it made and the light that, that was using two different types of memory. It was using light memory and sound memory. How is it possible to remember something precisely? I'll give you an example. Somebody says to you, how are you? And then somebody else asks you, what did that person say to you? And you repeat it. But you re could repeat it in such a way that uses exactly the same words, but with a different intonation. He said to me, how are you? Dismissively. Or he said to me, how are you? It's exactly the same words, but the intonation is different. How is it that Moshe Rabbeinu always got it exactly right? So Chazal tell us, and this is what the Shem Yishmol is repeating here, that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't actually speak the words himself. Somehow the word of God came out of him. He was not even a medium in the sense that we understand prophecy. He wasn't a messenger of God delivering the word of God as he heard it to a nation because he was now repeating it. He was the medium by which God communicated to the Jewish nation. God spoke from his insides, as it were. And so too was a situation with all of Israel at this particular moment in our history. The Shekhinah spoke, as it were, from within them. The Gemara in Soita says, 
You can look it up there. It's a fascinating Gemara. The Gemara says, do you know that even those women who were pregnant, at that moment, the fetus inside them sang Oz Yashir. Very weird, but kind of moving and very spiritual. How is that possible? Says, says the Shem Ishmur, it doesn't make any sense. They don't have mouths. They can't articulate words. I know it's a lovely idea to think that even the fetus inside the mother's womb sings a song of praise to God, but it's kind of fantasy, isn't it? It doesn't make much sense. If it's only through the normal methods of prophecy, what is the normal method of prophecy? That God gives a message to the prophet and the prophet then absorbs it, processes it and then delivers it to the nation. Then it doesn't make sense. Doesn't help. Imagine God gives his message to a Navi and the Navi cannot speak. For whatever reason, they're dumb. That's the word. I know it's not very PC, but that's the dumb. Okay, that's the word that we used to use. They're not able to articulate speech. In Hebrew, you say they don't have clay hadibur. They don't have the method by which to turn the thoughts in their brains into, um, into a voice and articulated words. They just don't have it. So what happens if you're a Navi and God gives you a message and you don't have clay hadibur? The message stops with you, right? As Chazal say, Amos, very interesting. So this is a very interesting Chazal. It's a medrash. Amos was one of the minor prophets. There were 12 minor prophets. One of them was Amos. And he apparently had a speech impediment. A lisp. And the Gemara tells us, the Medrash tells us, He had a speech impediment. He couldn't say the letter Shin. He couldn't say that. If you look it up, you can see the Rashi on Amos quotes this Chazal. It's Perik Zion, Posik Yudalad that he uses the word uboles because he couldn't say the word ubolesh. He had a speech impediment. One second, he's a prophet. Surely he's delivering the word of God. But this proves the point, says the Shemish Shmuel, that a prophet isn't God speaking. The prophet is somebody who's received a message from God and now has to deliver it to the people. What is his medium of delivery? His speech. And if Amos has a speech impediment, then the way he delivers it is obviously going to reflect that speech impediment. And that's exactly what happened. That prophetic word that is in the mouth of the prophet, they, it cannot be that the words of God that come out of the prophet's mouth are suddenly going to perfect his speech impediment simply because they are the word of God. That's not what's going to happen. A prophet can only say what a prophet can say. For example, I'm not su suggesting, by the way, this is the case, but if Amos had a Hungarian accent 
It's unlikely. I'm just saying it's unlikely. But just for this, you know, just climb into my little world for a moment. If Amos has a Hungarian accent and he had to deliver the word of God to people who don't speak with a Hungarian accent, do you think that somehow that when he delivered that message, his Hungarian accent would be lost? Of course not. That's what the Chazal are telling us. He's delivering the message. Obviously, it has to come through him with all the impediments that that might present him with when he delivers that message, including his speech impediment, including any accent he may have, including, by the way, any processes that are going on in his brain. That's, that is what prophecy means. It's going to, somehow elements of it may get lost, as it were, in translation. The Imkain, Ech Ubrin uh, Imam Amrushira, if that is the case, how is it even possible to suggest that a fetus in the womb of its mother was ever able to deliver a message of a prophecy, which is what we are saying Oz Yashir was, if they don't even have the ability to speak? We've never heard of a fetus communicating. It's not possible. We've had all types of miraculous events happen over the past hundred years in terms of medical technology. Never have I heard about a fetus being able to speak. So how could the Gemara suggest this fantastical idea that the fetus was able to speak or sing Oz Yashir when everybody else was singing? So the only answer is that God was speaking, as it were, from within them. It's not that they were speaking, it's not their speech. It's not something that went from their brain to their mouth and then came out. This was something which was generated by God through them. And therefore, the preparation, as it were, the formation of their um, speech, their tongue, their lips, and all those things was not necessary in order for them to sing Oz Yashir. And now we're going to understand Moshe Rabbeinu. What's the first piece of information that we know about Moshe Rabbeinu in terms of his speaking? He had something called, as he referred to it himself, Aral Sefataim. He was speech impeded. He was a self-admitted Speech impeded individual. He could not speak well. If I were to choose someone to represent me, right, let's talk about the, let's go back to the courtroom. I'm looking for a trial lawyer. And I go and meet the trial lawyer and he's got a terrible stutter. Would I engage that he's a brilliant man, absolutely brilliant. He knows the law backwards and forwards, case law, everything that I need but he cannot speak, he's got a terrible stutter. Would I engage him in court? No, I'd say, you know, you prepare the case, I'm gonna find someone else to speak in court. What was Moshe Rabbeinu's job? He was, first and foremost, an advocate for the slave nation, the Bnei Israel, and subsequently he was their leader who had to, you know, rally them and inspire them. How is it possible? That this individual with a speech impediment was able to do that not for six months or for four years or eight years as it would be for a president of the United States but for 40 years and he was no youngster I know that age is a concern in the American election but by the time he became as it were the president of the B'nai Israel, 
He was 80 years old and he carried on until the age of 120 with a speech impediment. How is that even possible? Says the Shem Ishmuel, We know that Moshe Rabbeinu was um, subject to a terrible speech impediment. And it says, So God says, I will be with your mouth. And then it continues, and I will develop, I will be, be the one who makes sure that what you say is what you should be saying. So the Midrash picks up on this latter part of the Pasuk and says, the fact that it says, is sufficient. We don't need to have the last part of the Pasuk. We already know that that's the case. And the Midrash, which, by the way, I've quoted in source number four, in, in, uh, I'm not going to go through the whole Midrash, but I've put it in there in source four if you want to look at it. The Midrash Perigimel, the Midrash on this parsha, it says as follows, At the time that you speak, everything that you say will work. It's going to come out because I'm going to be with your mouth. But then it says, so why does it, so if it says that, why, why do I have to add the extra part of the Pasuk? So Rabbi Avahu in the Midrash offers the following suggestion. I will place the words inside your mouth and they will come out of your mouth like an arrow. In other words, not just that I will be with you, that you'll know what to say. That's one level. You know, that's a very important thing. Are you fast on your feet? Somebody says something to you. Are you quick with a retort? Okay. That's one level of being able to respond to a given situation. You know, I'm very, very quick. I know exactly what to say. But can you say it? Are you able to articulate it? So Moshe Rabbeinu didn't just know what to say. It came out of his mouth. Do you know why? Because God was in his mouth and he shot out the words from his mouth, says the Midrash, like an arrow. In that situation, it doesn't matter whether or not he had a stutter. It happens to be that when he was standing in front of Paro, or when he was giving a speech in front of the Jewish nation, he never stuttered. He never had that problem because it kind of wasn't him speaking. Those words were words that were placed into his head and that came out of his mouth, shot out of his mouth like an arrow because God was inside him and speaking for him. It's a very powerful metaphor, as it were. It's an idea that it's, it's worth thinking about. The Moshe Rabbeinu, who is somehow deficient as a person, who are we if we can't speak? Frightening. Can you think of that? Have you ever met someone who's been able to speak and the power of speech has been taken away from them? So it's devastating. Think about Moshe Rabbeinu, who really probably wasn't a, a great speaker. He was probably very shy, because if, you, if people are not good at speaking, they tend to be very shy. And suddenly he is thrust at the forefront of a nation as their representative and as their leader. He has to inspire them. 
is to be charismatic in the way that he presents ideas to them. You know, he's taking them out of whatever, however uncomfortable they were in Egypt, we know that it was for them some level of a comfort zone and preferable on several situ in several situations to their stay in the wilderness. Moshe Rabbeinu succeeded unbelievably. Do you know why? Because God spoke out of his mouth. And now we need to understand that based on this, we have an appreciation of the incredible miracle, not just the miracle of the splitting of the Red Sea, but the song itself that they sang afterwards was also a miracle because it was at this level of prophecy that the song was sung. The fact that every Jew knew the lyrics of a song that they'd never heard before in response, in reaction to the miracle of the splitting of the Red Sea was in and of itself an incredible miracle. It was this elevated form of prophecy. They weren't the speakers, they weren't the singers. It was God, as it were, who delivered the words that became this song out of them, through them. They were his agents, not just his messengers to deliver those words. In fact, they didn't need the power of speech. All they needed to be was appreciative of the situation and um, there at that moment, and that was sufficient for them to participate in this incredible moment in our history. In which case, if that's the case, if I were to tell you that somebody said something, not because they said it, but because they were programmed to say it. Could we say that they said it? Or in fact, they didn't really say it. Whoever it was that programmed them to say it said it, right? If I, if I turn on, I'm going to use you know, old-fashioned language, a tape recorder, okay? I turn on, push the button down, and the tape goes on, and now you hear my voice coming out of the tape recorder. Am I speaking or is the tape recorder speaking? I'm speaking, right? It's my voice. So how come it's coming out of the tape recorder? Because I took a cassette, I stuck it in, I recorded my voice and then I pressed the play button and what came out of the speaker was my voice. Can the tape recorder take any credit for the words that come out of the speaker that happened to be mine. By the way, the tape recorder may not want to take any credit for something I've said. <laughs> but imagine the tape recorder wants to take credit for something that I said. Could it take any credit? No. Why? Because it's me that said it, and that was just a machine that delivered those words. The Jewish nation sang Oz Yashir. Beautiful words. Ashir al ki Read through the lyrics. We're going to hear it read in the uh, in shul this week's parsha. Beautiful. Can they take any credit for it? Not the way we've just understood it, because it was God speaking through them. In which case, it wasn't really them singing it. They were just a tape recorder, and somebody pressed play. So how is it that it says Az Yashir Moshe uvenei Yisrael? How is it possible for us to suggest that Moshe and the Vene Israel sang this song? No. 
אז ישיר השם את השיר הזאת לשם. Do you understand the question? And here comes the clincher. Turn the page. אך, יש לומר, we can say ששכינה לא דיברה מתוך גרונם, אלא אחר שהכינו את ליבם לומר שירה. Do you know why God could sing through them? Because they had determined in their minds that a great miracle had happened and it was time to sing a song. They were the ones who initiated in their mind. You know, the tape recorder can't press play itself. Someone else externally has to press the button for it to play. The, but the Bnei Yisrael, in that incredible moment, that miraculous moment when the Red Sea split, they had an ah moment. Eureka! Time to sing a song. Did they sing the song? That's not important. They decided that they wanted to sing a song. In their minds, they decided this is an appropriate moment to express praise and thanks to Hashem through the medium of song and music. And only then did the Shekhinah emerge out of them because it sung, the Shekhinah, God sung through them. However, had they not thought about singing the song, there would never have been a song that would have been sung. In other words, it's only through a willing medium that God is able to transmit the words of Az Yashir Moshe. It's only when the Jew wanted that song to be sung that God could sing that song through them. It was them who determined that the song should be sung. And that is why the song is attributed to them. They never actually sang the song. That's what it means. It says, Oz, that moment, Yashir, they decided they were going to sing. It's to convey to you the fact that we attribute a song that God was singing through them. The fact that that is attributed to the Bnei Yisrael, it's only based on the fact that at some point they had wanted to sing a song. What were the lyrics of their song? It's lost to posterity. We will never know what they would have sung. And maybe they would have sung a thousand different songs because they didn't have this medium of prophecy that would have enabled them to sing exactly the same words at exactly the same time. But once they had made the decision to sing the song, the attribution goes to them, the song is God. The actual lyrics, the words that were used for the song, that cannot be attributed to them, only the willingness to sing it. Because it was not from them. I've summarized the Shem Mishmuel here. And I've put here at the bottom a list of lessons that we can pos possibly take 
from the Shem Mishmuel something to think about. Four different lessons that we can think about. The first is that making a decision to do the right thing is powerful in and of itself. I want to do something right. You know, sometimes you make a decision, you want to do something, and it doesn't always turn out the way you expected it to. And you think to yourself, why do I even bother going through the process of making the decision if in the end it didn't materialize? No, there is value, powerful value, in making a decision to do the right thing at the moment. The Jewish nation on the shores of the Red Sea made a decision. It happens to be that the decision they made bore no relationship with what actually happened. But in and of itself, it's worthy of a mention to the extent that the pasuk changes the language slightly, the verbiage is, is modified to convey this message. It says, Oz Yashir Moshe, not Vishar Moshe, Ubenei Yisrael. Lesson number one. Lesson number two. When we hear two great people saying different things, that doesn't mean that one of them is wrong. As we heard before, no two Nevi'im necessarily are going to say exactly the same thing. They both could be repeating the words of God as they understood them. The Talmud is full of disputes and debates. Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel, Rava and Abaya. And we don't in any way suggest that Rava was wrong and Abaya was right, or vice versa. Obviously, we need to reach halachic decision based on their word. Whatever it is that they said, we have to make a choice between one and the other. But we have a principle. Eilu va'elu, divrei elokim chayim. These and those are both the words of the living God. In other words, there's no two prophets who are necessarily going to say exactly the same thing, but it doesn't mean that one of them is right and the other one is wrong. They could both be right, even if we determine that we're going to follow one path and not the other. The third lesson we can draw from the Shemish Shmuel is that our greatest achievements are miracles that begin with a decision we make to forge ahead with something important. If you want to look back at your life, what are the greatest things that you've achieved in your life? And then take it back to that initiating moment. The moment that actually was the platform for everything that unfolded afterwards. That's a miracle. At that moment, would you have ever thought that the way it turned out would be the way that it would turn out? You can't possibly even imagine you get married, you go to college, you take a job, you give a charity to someone. You don't know how it's going to turn out. And then you look back and you say, oh my gosh, look what I've achieved. What was it? It was an Az Yashir Moshe moment. It was a tiny moment in your brain that somehow became this great, wonderful thing. If we are inspired to do something, God will be there to make it happen. That's what we need to believe. All we need to do is be the Oz Yashir Moshe people, and then God will speak, as it were, from within us. He will give us the power to achieve the greatest objectives, even if they seem beyond our reach. And finally, and I think this is very important, getting people to do exactly the same thing 
at exactly the same time is a miracle. We'll leave it here for today.